Joy is knowing God's presence in what seems like his absence. For God's people, joy is knowing God's presence in what seems like his absence. We're in Isaiah chapter 40. And where we meet the nation of Israel in the book of Isaiah. And what's taking place in chapter 40. Is a situation where this nation feels as if they have been forgotten by God. Have you ever felt like you were forgotten by anyone? Overlooked? Taken for granted? We were at dinner the other night and the waiter went around the table taking everyone's order and they just forgot one of the people. That was awkward. Maybe you've been overlooked for a promotion. Absolutely forgotten. There's no one that is forgotten as much as someone who has a December birthday. Can I get an amen from anyone in the room? People forget you. They will randomly see it on Facebook on the way to visit you. And then we'll act like this one gift they got you for Christmas is for actual both for both events. It's a super uncomfortable thing. The nation of Israel is in this place where they feel as if God, Yahweh, has forgotten them. They have been in captivity for years. They are in captivity because of the nation's leaders who are corrupt and who are far from God. And they have made decisions that have not only impacted those various leaders, they have impacted the nation as a whole. They are in captivity, bound by various nations. They're making deals that they should never make, agreeing to things they should never agree to. When we meet together in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, both Calvin and Luther read this chapter as a clear announcement of the gospel. With Calvin boldly saying this, that the passage comprehends the, gospel, the whole gospel in a few words. So I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 40 over us this morning and then we'll... Uh, dip into the text together. 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth. And the rough places will become a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear. And all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was saying, cry out. Another saying, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flowers fade. When the breath of the Lord blows on them, indeed the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will remain forever. Zion, herald of good news. Go up on a high mountain in Jerusalem, herald of good news. Raise your voice loudly. Raise it. Do not be afraid. Say it to the cities of Judah. Here is our God. See the Lord God come with strength and his power establish his rule. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. He protects the flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the field in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands or marked off 
the heavens with a span of his hand, who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure, or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or who has given him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look at the nations are, are like a drop in the bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon cedars are not enough for fuel or its animals enough for burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as empty nothingness. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for your comparison with him? An idol? Well, something like a smelter cast and a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver chains for? A poor person contributes wood for a pedestal that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that, he will, that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like the thin like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing. He makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They're barely planted, sown, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground when he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name because of his great power and strength. Not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary. Young men, they may stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and they will not be faint. Joy is knowing God's presence in what seems like his absence. You see in this text that God is allowing the nation of Israel to hear just a tad bit as to who he actually is. Our focal portion of the text is these last few verses, picking up in verse 27, where we see Jacob, the nation of Israel, asking this question of God. Where are you? Why are you not here? And God is addressing to the nation of Israel that he sees their pain, that he knows about their rebellion, that he understands their hearts are undisciplined and far from him. And he has observed how unfortunate their situation happens to be. He remembers that they were unfaithful and they were disobedient. You may be reading a text like this and ask yourself about the nation of Israel, where did all of this pain come from? What brought it about? Rebellion. You have the nation of Assyria, who Greg mentioned last week, which I am thankful for, who is in charge of the entire world. They were Rome before Rome, but they were much more barbaric. They were in charge of everything. 
There is another nation coming around the corner by the name of Babylon. You may or may not have heard of them. In your study of the book of Daniel, when a vegetable taught you about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Babylon is on their way to becoming a dominant force in the world. To avoid the wrath of Assyria, the nation of Israel aligns themselves with Babylon. But when they do this, they allow the Babylonians to come into their temple to view and, and see what's actually inside of there. They make this deal. And when they make the deal, they begin to mix the religion of the Israelites, the true God of the Scriptures, with the various religions of the Babylonians. And they would have never said they were doing that. But by their decision, that's what is actually taking place. To deal with the Assyrians, they have aligned themselves with someone just as evil. To deal with those who were opposed to them, they align themselves with someone who is just as opposed to them. And the nation of Israel for numerous years are sitting in captivity to the point where people did not even remember what had taken place. All that they knew was captivity. And the hearts of these people happened to be crying out to this Yahweh, Where are you? We just want to be happy. That's the weirdest thing about joy, is that we settle for a little bit less when we settle for happiness. Happiness is not bad. Happiness is just circumstantial. The things that make me happy, they don't last. They're a fleeting thing. The idea of joy in this passage and the idea of joy throughout the teachings of the Scripture is much more than that. It's more than you getting a treat at your school for Christmas break. It's more than you getting a small bonus that you will inevitably spend on something for Christmas. It is more than any of those things. Joy is this deep-seated knowledge that God is present when it seems as if He's absent. Where are you, the nation of Israel asks. Where are you, you may ask. God, I'm doing things. I'm attempting to be faithful. I read my Bible. I pray. I need to know where you are. Verse 27 takes us to the heart of the nation of Israel when it says, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim, and my claim is ignored by my God? God is saying to them, why do you keep saying this? Because over and over I'm hearing from my people that I have abandoned you. Why, God, is there not blessing? Why have you not delivered us? Why have you not given us the freedom from our captives that you evidently have promised? Where is this Messiah that we are longing for? Are you going to be God? Our longings are lesser. Sometimes more trivial. Why is there not more blessing for me, God? We have had misappropriations of the Christian faith completely fixated and focused on the idea of blessing. Why is my wife sick? Why is my child sick? 
why did I get overlooked for that promotion again? Why aren't there more people in here on Sundays? Why are people not getting saved? God, I know what I want. You're not giving it to me. Where are you? And the tone that you read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, it's not even a prayer. They're talking to God. They're not talking to God. They're talking about Him. And our, our own prayers can dovetail into that, where we're not talking to Him, we're just talking about Him. We give side-eye and second thought to the idea that God would actually meet with us. Do you ever see that in your own life, where you inadvertently are talking about God rather than to Him? Why is God even asking this? Why is God asking this nation of Israel, where, why do you say this? He's attempting to meet them. He's attempting to meet a faithless people who he has treated with silence for this time. And what he's saying to them is, I'm going to meet you and I'm going to meet you with comfort. This is why we as followers of Jesus sing at this time of year that we want to have tidings of comfort and joy because those things are not disassociated from one another. Comfort and joy are these concepts that we see throughout the Scripture. They're very present. And God is saying to the nation of Israel, I want you to see and know that my presence in what seems like absence is, is comfort. Verse, chapter 40, verse 1. Isaiah is alluding to that here in verse 27. When he says, comfort my people, comfort. I offer you this real comfort. God is saying to them, I'm not turning away from the tension of our relationship. I'm actually addressing it. I'm addressing that you've been far from me. I'm dealing with the idea that you've chosen less than me. I'm, I'm going to confront the idea that you as a people, as a nation, have allowed these foreign things to completely overrun your thoughts and patterns. I'm going to meet you directly. And I'm going to offer you comfort. It may not feel like comfort. But I'm going to do that. Calvin says this. Nearly all the wisdom we possess. That is to say tr true and sound wisdom. It consists of two parts. The knowledge of God. And the knowledge of ourselves. All sound wisdom boils down to that. What can I know about God? And what can I know about me? Verse 28 takes us to this God. It says this about Him. It says that Yahweh... Our God, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God. He's the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint and he is never weary. There is no limit to his understanding. What can I learn about our God in that passage? He creates us. He made you. All of the verses that we quote so often about him knitting us together in our mother's womb, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, we have separated ourselves from that very truth. We talk about that when people have babies. We don't consider that when we're 44. He knits you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I made you to be who you are. I made you. I not only made you, I love you. He doesn't get tired of you. And I know that we are sinful people who are stressed out and overrun. And there are times for us where we feel like, why would God ever love me? He never grows tired of you. 
When we are people who belong to God through the death and resurrection of the person of Jesus, He is never bored with you. He never disassociates Himself with you. If He is for you, then no one can be against you. God loves you immensely. I think as Christians, we can really lose sight of that. For all the depths of our theology and all the, the ways that we may try to excavate these various truths from Scripture, we forget at its heart, God loves you. He loves you. He loves me. Not only does He not grow tired of you because He loves you, He's not bound by time. He is everlasting. This passage he points out numerous times. They don't realize this is just a blip on the radar. It's not even a blip. It's just a boot. He's all-knowing. There's no limit to what God knows. Thousands upon thousands of things that could be taking place. God knows. So if that's what I can know about God from this very small portion of text, what can I know about me? You were created. It's, it's the, the reflex of all of this. That your sin has separated you from His comfort. That you and I, we come with expiration dates. I have one friend who I won't mention his name. But he lets me know that when his children get a new pet, he just begins to calculate how long that animal's going to live. Merry Christmas. Your knowledge is limited. Verse 30 goes on to say this. With the youth, they can become faint and weary. Everybody is tired. When you're a youth... That's you at your best. Do you remember how active you were in the days of your youth? How your energy lasted longer? How your body functioned properly? I had to put stuff in our attic yesterday and I have been crackling like bacon ever since. Everywhere I walk, I hurt. And then he says, young men. Well, you may say, well, what's the difference in a youth and a young man? This phrase, in light of their circumstance, would be about not just the youth, but the best of the best. It's about the Daniels. It's about the Shadrachs. It's about the Meshachs. It's about the Abednegoes. This is your favorite athlete. Maybe sports fans, raise your hand if you, if you, if you sport. Okay? This is about you watching as your favorite athlete gets old and them not being able to compete anymore. Even young men, they stumble and fall. This is me in the year of our Lord, 2015, when I noticed that Peyton Manning could not throw the ball as hard as he used to. It's about when Charlie asked me who my favorite team was and I told him I didn't have a favorite team. And Shepard jumped in and said, Daddy has not had a favorite team since Peyton Manning retired. He's a very depressed person. <laughs> what can I know about me? That my limitations are always there. But God wants us to have something. 
He wants us to see the unity between the finite and the infinite. The all-loving God with us. His selflessness with our selfishness. Him inviting us into something that is eternal. What can I have? Verse 31. Those who trust in the Lord, they will renew their strength. And they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and they will not become faint. God is saying that a promise has been made to His people that is eternal. We're reminded of this when Paul says in 2 Corinthians, We are but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. This is the joy of God being present in the lives of believers when everything else says that His joy is absent. What is a life that trusts God? What, what is a life of a believing person who trusts in this God? What's that supposed to look like? What's the fulfillment of His promises really look like? How am I supposed to interact with my lost world in light of who God says He is in passages like this? How am I supposed to interact in a way that says that my God is present when everything else says that He's absent? How am I supposed to interact when, I, when the world says that it is dark and gloomy, yet my God says that He is the light of the world? Verse 3 gives direction to that when He says, you prepare the way. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. If you'll remember when we started the book of Mark, that phrase is there. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The people of God, united by God, who have not disassociated themselves from the comfort and joy that God provides. We are making a way. We are diligently living in a way that says that this world does not get to define what eternity is because Jesus does. We're caring for those who need to be cared for. We're meeting people with comfort when they need to be met with comfort. We are kind when people are sinful and wicked because kindness leads people to repentance. The kindness of God expressed by the kindness of His people. We are living in a way that says that Jesus matters to us above all things. Verse 20, we, we look at this text and we see so many promises there. That God has promised us strength. He's promised us hope. He said that a way, a life that follows Him looks in a certain way. Advent helps us to remember the nearness and the comfort of God. It helps us to remember that God has not left His people. He's not walked away from us. It helps us in those forgotten moments. To know that the God of the Bible has come near to us and His nearness is, is something that can benefit us in those times of trouble. It reminds us that His nearness and His comfort have not left us. It's what we see in Luke. Mary found out she was having a baby. I'm assuming she was afraid. Even though she'd met with an angel... For her to live in the world in which she lived, to have a baby out of wedlock, would have been detrimental to the umpteenth degree. 
her husband had every right to divorce her. She would be ostracized. There was a possibility that she would be killed. The angel meets with her and she's pondering in her heart what to do with this God who, who has sent this message to her. She goes to meet with her cousin Elizabeth, who's an older lady, who's going to have a baby, which is not as miraculous as Mary having a baby, but it is really miraculous. TLC special miraculous. Blessed is he, verse 45, when Elizabeth says this to Mary, Blessed is he who believes that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. The word blessed there we dealt with for numerous weeks in our church when we walked through the Beatitudes. It's the idea of the deep joy of God in a circumstance that says that we should not be joyful. And right here, this cousin of Mary says to her, God's deep joy is in you when you realize that he's not left you. Though it may seem like he's absent, he's very much present with you. And Mary responds with this. When she begins in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked upon me with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the Mighty One has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted the lowly. He satisfied the hungry with good things. And he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. This is what Sally Lloyd Jones talks about in the Jesus Storybook Bible when she reminds us that. The God who flung the universe into place. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The God who can do anything at all was making himself small. And he was coming down as a baby. Joy in our presence. Even when everything else says that it's absent. Would we be people who trust this joy that God has offered us in Jesus? I invite you to bow your heads this morning. Of these Advent themes, I think that joy is one of the hardest to understand, if not the hardest. It's easily replaced with something less.
there's a possibility that you're here and you've never trusted in what God offers you in Jesus. Maybe you've had a happy moment or multiple happy moments, but you've never met Jesus. Our church exists so that Jesus is made much of in this community. And we would invite you into a conversation about what it means to trust and follow Him. But as I look around, I know most of you, and I've had the privilege alongside of Jared of serving as your pastor for the last few years. It may seem to you as if God is far, far away. the brokenness of this world and its sinful existence just reminds you of that. But the joy that we have as believers is a subtle reminder, I hope. There is a day coming when Jesus returns for us. When all death and all sickness and all sin... that is thrown as far away as the east is from the west. So if you're here this morning and you feel as if you've been forgotten, overlooked, we love you. The Lord loves you more. And if we can pray for you, I'll be in the back right-hand corner of the room. I'd love to do that. Father, we trust you this morning that your word is good and true and that you are faithful to be good and true to us. Lord, I pray that your word will reign heavy in our hearts and that we'll see that you being with us somehow lifts the, the difficult situations that we walk through God I pray that we will realize that you are present you're present you're present we ask this in Jesus name